Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking about the importance of vitamin D, muscle strength, and how a runner can listen to the body to help prevent injury. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running even if you've been injured. Today, we have Dr. Christopher Segler joining us. Dr. Segler, thanks for joining us. Sure. Yeah. So uh, thanks for having me and good to um, be here to hopefully provide some useful information for all of the members at Runners Connect. Yeah. Uh, I would. I also would like to know, in my experience with um, injuries, a lot of the time, like you said, it has to do with just you know the volume that you're putting in, but mm-hmm. it has also um, had to do a lot with just weaknesses that I've had often in my hips, but obviously there's kind of a domino effect there. Um, Can you kind of talk on that a little bit? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's like, I don't think it's really a new idea, but it's certainly been popular now. Like in the last 10 years or so, it's been this whole thing about uh, hamstrings and glutes being sort of weak. It's like, it's like the new core thing. For many, many years, it was like everybody, all runners talked about core strength, that they, you know, runners get really strong, your legs are strong, but they don't have any core strength. If you can just do some core strengthening, that helps your form. So that seemed to like become a pretty basic thing. Now everybody talks about like glute and hamstrings and, and hip instability. It's true though. You know, it's all connected. This is not debatable, right? So you don't just run with your legs, you use all of it. And all of it matters. Your posture matters. Your arm swing matters. All these things matter, which is why run form analysis is is really helpful. So you can make some very, very minor changes in your run form and have huge gains because you are more efficient. It's true. I mean, I actually uh, did some work on my run form at one point. I won't bore you with the whole story, but I had been running for 25 years or so at the time. And and I had very consistent marathon times. And after doing some run form stuff and and working on that for just a few months, I took 20 minutes off my next marathon. 20 minutes is a lot of time. Even if you run slow, that's a lot of time. You know, the 20 minutes is a huge gain. So, and again, this is free speed, right? Not harder work, not more work, not a gazillion squats or something. This is free speed because it's just technique. You know, trying to make sure that you're not missing those things matters. I don't really, I actually don't understand exactly why this happens, but I know that with triathletes, it's more common that they seem to get um, really weak glutes and hamstrings. Because I do mostly Ironmans, um, you know, like all off season, I basically go to the gym and I just hammer my glutes and hamstrings. And then they get progressively weaker as I get stronger and faster throughout my real season. They just, because I don't have time to go to the gym, because I'm already doing too much other stuff. So these things are also very, very Um, low-hanging fruit, so to speak, right? Because how much time does it take to do some core exercises and some, you know, hamstring strengthening and glute exercises? What, half an hour, maybe? Once or twice a week? We're not talking about adding a four-hour run or a six-hour bike ride or something. You're talking about really small amounts of time to add to get Again, enormous benefit. I know that Runners Connect has a strength training program that can be really helpful because, you know, it gives you very specific exercises that you can do anywhere, you know, at home, in your hotel, when you're traveling, whatever. You know, you don't have to go to the gym and have the same gym that you go to. You could do it anywhere. And they're not complicated exercises. It really does help, though. It's interesting because I was I was actually at a workshop one time with Mark Allen, who's, you know, like, you know, world famous Ironman champion, and he still does some coaching and stuff. But I was actually at a, this weekend thing with him and some other people, 
And one of his athletes who's a pro, he would, she asked, what is the number one exercise you recommend? And he had said, well, basically, if you just stand on a milk crate with two, you know, like five pound dumbbells in your hands and pick up one leg and then basically just lower down to where you get your, your dumbbells down below your foot that you're standing on and then stand back up, like basically like a one-legged squat kind of thing. It was fascinating watching a professional triathlete struggle with this one motion. And it's like, how can she be so fast? How is it that somebody that can run a three-hour marathon off the bike after riding 112 miles can barely like do a one-legged squat thing like that with five pounds? But it just speaks to the like sort of global weakness in these other areas because we don't train them. All we care about is this stuff that makes us move in a straight line. And those things, even though they're peripheral, they're the pieces that carry you when you get exhausted. Everybody running a marathon looks great at the beginning. Everybody looks pretty good halfway through. That last mile or two, people do not look the same. So why is that? It's because the coordinated muscle groups, they're all firing in sync when everything's running correctly. So the strong ones, the ones that are coordinated, the ones that you do fire consistently and persistently when you train, they're the ones that carry you most of the way. At some point, they become completely depleted and they're not really working effectively anymore. So then the peripheral groups, all these other things that can help move you forward, are having to fire and they're not used to working and they're not good at working. They're not functional. They're not coordinated. And so when that happens, you have a bigger problem, right? So you have all these uncoordinated things trying to fire. And if you haven't ever trained them because you haven't done any core work, you haven't done any hamstring stuff, you haven't done any glute stuff, you don't get any real benefit from them. And again, it's not like you have to do double duty and double the amount of your workouts. You can add just like these short things to strengthen your um, glutes, your, your, your hamstrings, uh, your core, and get some more hip stability so that your form is better. It seems like a really simple thing to do. And, and again, like I always think about it in terms of time. Is it really something that's time effective or not? And it seems like it is. Yeah, I know in my, my running career, that was kind of a hard pill for me to swallow. I, uh, I'd always much rather just go out for another run than sit down and do 20 minutes of core. But it well, definitely does add up over time. <laughs> it's true. So that's just it is that, you, you know, we always want to do the things that are fun and that seem to apply directly. Going for an additional run is what we want to do. The other thing I'll say is that, you know, if you can even substitute some runs, you know, at some point, like, well, if you go run 20 miles or whatever on Sunday, if you run on Monday, you're not getting a lot of benefit from that run, right? Mm -hmm. So if you do some strengthening stuff, then it's definitely better. You know, at one point I raced motorcycles professionally many, many years ago, and I would rent the racetrack. I would do all this stuff. The thing that actually made the biggest difference for me was I started going to a parking garage and doing stairs because on a motorcycle, you have to change sides of the motorcycle over and over and over. So that was not fun. Doing you know hundreds of flights of stairs in a parking garage was not fun. Um, it was not really like racing motorcycles and it was not going fast either. But those little things that you can do, you know, the strengthening routines that, that you can get from your coach that actually can be so supportive and so helpful can be the difference between a PR and being five minutes out of your goal time. It really can. And it takes, like you said, it takes so little time mm -hmm. to do. Yeah, yeah I think uh, just putting it into that context, you know, for instance, I, I have very little upper body strength, so getting down doing 10 push-ups is kind of the bane of my existence, but right. you put it into the context of this is going to take you 10 minutes. It's a very easy thing to add into your training. Exactly. Yeah. So that's just it. Is that I think that, you know, 
one of the keys for injury prevention is for runners to try to find not how they can eliminate runs or how they can buy different shoes or whatever, but it's like, where does the speed come from? Like, Mm -hmm. where does the faster recovery come from? And it's, it's really providing better support for everything that makes the huge difference. And so, you know, doing all of these, you know, planks and all these workouts, all the kind of things that can add core strength and stability and then maintain some hip stability longer. The fact is, the longer your form is good, the faster you're going to go. There's no way around that. So if you have good running form and you get exhausted, you're not going to have good running form anymore. I don't care who you are. And I've seen lots of elite athletes run and they all look good at the beginning. At the end, they're all dying and they look like they're dying because they're out of gas. And if you add in more of these things that can help enhance those peripheral groups and so that they can support the others, you can go that much longer with better form. Yeah, I think the, uh, the silver lining for you know most runners, when they tend to fall apart towards the end of the race, you can usually pinpoint where their weaknesses are. So. Right. When uh, we did gait analyses at um, at a Runners Connect camp, for instance, a lot of people would have kind of the arm crossover, the typical mm. kind of butter churning oh. arm movement, and um, obviously that that kind of um, would indicate weakness in their core. Right. Is that you kind of agree with that? Yeah, no, definitely. That's just it. Is there are all these little things? And they're subtle. They're very mm-hmm. subtle. So, which is why you want somebody doing run analysis that sees runners all the time. Like all I do is think about running biomechanics and injury. That's all I think about. I think about that all the time I run. I really do. I think about it in the airport. I mean, it kind of drives my wife crazy. I'll see somebody walk by and I'll go, "Oh, look, that person has a limb length discrepancy," and she's like, "What? Why? You know, who cares?" I mean, and but that's all I think about. So. <laughs> You know, there are subtle things, but I can watch somebody walk and and without their shoes on and like within 10 steps, I can tell if they have a tight Achilles tendon or not. When you watch runners run, it's different. So walking biomechanics is totally different than running biomechanics. And people that have been running for a long time, they've been coaching athletes a long time, and they've really thought about this and they really understand the biomechanics of it. They can tell instantly, well, you have core weakness or, you know, you have weak glutes, you know, you have too much instability in your hips. You have this pelvic tilt that's not really helping you. You know, there are subtle things, but it's, you know, again, it's having an expert do it. Sure, you can go watch some YouTube videos and like try to do it yourself, but that's not the best idea. So I could probably watch a YouTube video on how to tune my car but I'll bet any mechanic could do a better job than I could, no matter how many times I watch that YouTube video. I think having a real expert look at you when you need to really assess where are those weaknesses. Because again, if you know what the weakness is, you can focus on those areas, right? So work on your limiters. That's where the that's where the real benefit is. Everybody's working on their strengths. People that like to run a certain distance, they tend to focus on that sort of workout that centers around that distance, right? When you can identify some limiter that you have, if it's core weakness, whatever it is, and then you can just do the exercises that will really address that most effectively, you can also preserve time and uh, and then train more effectively without wasting a whole lot of extra time on exercises you maybe don't really need to do and don't need to focus on. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, kind of like what you said, it's it's important to figure out what those things, what your weaknesses are and kind of step out of your comfort zone yeah. in, uh, in addressing them. I think it uh, usually pays pretty good dividends in the end. Oh, for sure, uh, yeah. So kind of touching on what you were talking about earlier in terms of how certain uh, nutrients and vitamin deficiencies can lead to injuries. Um, I I only recently discovered that um, how important vitamin D is to both your muscle and bone systems. Um, 
what are your thoughts on this? Is uh, is vitamin D really crucial to just your your bone and muscular systems? This is the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What's a virtual doctor visit? The idea of not running at all while waiting for my foot to heal was simply depressing. I really needed a second opinion from an expert, someone who specializes in helping runners. What you'll get from Dr. Segler, in my experience, is expert runner and medical care that's individualized for your needs. I'm left with actionable steps to recover from my injury. Dr. Segler is different, and I felt heard, didn't feel patronized, and I felt like he prioritized getting me back to running as soon as possible, as much as I did. I just couldn't see sitting around for six weeks knowing my hard-earned fitness would vanish. I know Dr. Segler is an expert, and I wanted to see him in person. But frankly, I just couldn't afford the cost of a house call. I saved enough money to pay for my next marathon registration. You'll have an appointment with Dr. Segler, whether it's via Skype or on the phone. You can expect, one, he's going to be on time. Two, he's going to be able to spend more time with you than the typical uh, visit in a doctor's office. And both of those are going to result in a more effective diagnosis and treatment plan for you. I'm a young woman in the Philippines, and I hurt my ankle yesterday. I just wanted to say thank you, and that it's such a relief to be able to find a website like yours and get some information when I'm in a place with uh, little to no medical care. So I just wanted to call and say thank you. You're awesome. Book a virtual doctor visit and get a second opinion online today. Welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. I I only recently discovered that... Um, how important vitamin D is to both your muscle and bone systems. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Is, uh, is vitamin D really crucial to just your, your bone and muscular systems? Yeah, it really is. So, I mean, the idea of like vitamin D and associated, how it's associated with bone is not new. I mean, so we've known that for a long time. So when I was in medical school, that's a pretty basic thing. It was just sort of the idea of that, you know, so many people were taking calcium supplements but not getting appropriate absorption because they weren't taking vitamin D. But it's true. For muscle, there's also a similar th issue. It's very complicated, but there are lots of published research studies that show that there's no question about this, that in terms of muscle function, muscle size, um, limiting atrophy, it all has a lot to do with vitamin D. And the way that your um, endocrine system uses it sort of as a mediator to facilitate all these hormones that can stimulate growth uh, of the muscles. Obviously, that's what strength is, right? It's increasing the diameter of the nerve fibers and getting stronger, and you have to have that. So, you know, insulin-derived um, growth factor, or insulin-like growth factor, and mechanical growth factor, they're all essential to muscle health. Again, it's this very complicated chain of events that happens. You know, it's widely understood, at least and appreciated now, that it actually does matter. You know, as physicians are typically taught to think about is that if somebody's vitamin D deficient, that just means they're going to have a bone problem. You know, they're going to get um, a stress fracture or whatever. And much of the research we know about this comes from kids with rickets. It's obvious, right? But then there's all these sort of side things that came out of a lot of that research talking about how the strength in kids with rickets when they're actually getting started on appropriate vitamin D supplementation and they're incorporating it appropriately into their systems, their muscle strength improves significantly and that can be measured through biopsying the muscle tissue and seeing how it changes. So it is important. In San Francisco, it's foggy. There's not a lot of light in San Francisco a lot of the time in a lot of the places. Here, it's a chronic thing. So I know lots of physicians in San Francisco that tell me 
that most of their patients have vitamin D deficiencies. This is seasonal too. You know, if you live in Florida, maybe it's not a problem. If you live in Arizona, it's probably not a problem. But if you live in the Northeast and it's winter, you know, or if you live in Seattle or anywhere in the North when it's light five hours a day, this is a problem. And so as an athlete training, particularly when training indoors, you can have an issue with vitamin D, in particular if you're not taking supplements that are getting incorporated into your system. And there's there were some studies also that showed that with the athletes that light actually matters and that athletes become stronger faster when they train in natural sunlight. That may have something to do with vitamin D, right? This is a widespread problem and it's, I mean, some studies actually reported it as being a like worldwide epidemic now of vitamin D deficiency, but I think it's underappreciated in most people because it doesn't matter that much. I mean, let's face it, anybody, most people in America are not going to get rickets. So they're just not, you know, it happens in some really um, economically depressed areas, but runners are not going to get rickets. You know, you're eating a pretty healthy diet and all that, but you still, again, you may not absorb enough of those nutrients that you're really functionally stable in terms of your vitamin D intake and the metabolism that's necessary in terms of hormone regulation that uh, can allow you to build muscle fiber as fast as you need. And there are a couple that are known to basically increase the way that your uh, muscle uh, upregulates with some of these hormones and, and they're banned substances now. You know, not vitamin D, but some of the um, uh, hormonal downchain, you know, downstream hormones that that have to have vitamin D for regulation and function. You know, it is important. I mean, it's definitely important. And it ma it matters more if you always run in the gym. I don't run in a gym on a treadmill that much. Like, I do it when I go to the gym, you know, and particularly if it's raining or something. But other than that, I run outside pretty much all the time. And I also like to run when it's hot. I run when it's sunny most of the time. Not everybody has that luxury. Many people have to do their runs at... 4 a.m. because they have to go to class or they have kids or they have to go to work. They're going to go to the gym and run early, early in the morning, or it's dark when they're running, in which case you're not going to get a lot of sunlight. And so it can be a really big problem, but it's also a thing you should discuss with your coach. You know, if you're concerned about it, you know, if you feel like you're not making gains as fast as your coach would expect of you, then you have to figure out why. Just like when an athlete comes to me and they're injured, you have to look at everything. I look at their shoes. I look at the wear pattern on their shoes. I look at the way they run. I look at everything. And and there's some piece that's off. That's why you have to discuss it with your coach. If you say, look, I don't think I'm doing this. And then they find out you just based on your story and your diet and all that kind of stuff, that you may have vitamin D deficiency, then they, they have to do something to try to help you get back on track. But it is important to consider for sure. Okay. Yeah. So I've been uh, living and training with this group of runners kind of in the mountains of North Carolina for the uh -huh. past year. And, um, we live in this kind of a small valley, not a lot of direct sunlight, uh -huh. and my coach theorized we had one of my teammates was the seventh man in uh, in our group's history to get a sacral stress fracture. Oh, wow. Coach was theorizing that it was due to, you know, lack of vitamin D. Right. Um, are there ways to, obviously you can take, you know, vitamin D supplements. Is it better absorbed through, like, liquid vitamin D? Can you... How would you um, suggest that's a, people? That's a good question. You know, it depends so much on the supplements themselves, you know, and that there is a really broad range. It's not just form. I mean, I don't think. Obviously, those, you know, they're you get through an IV are better, mm -hmm. but who's going to do that? It's not convenient to get an IV. 
and certainly if you need daily supplementation, that's not practical. There are lots of different forms, but it's also making sure that it's one that your body's going to actually absorb. So I think monitoring it's actually really important. If you if you really think that you have that, obviously if you're getting a sacral stress fracture is not a good thing, right? So this is not also a really common injury. So, you know, metatarsal stress fractures are really common. Tibial stress fractures are pretty common, but sacral stress fractures, not so much. This is, it seems like a serious issue. So for somebody who's a runner that gets something like that, I think it's really important that they, first of all, get a nutritional consult and get, you know, a real solid way to monitor it, you know, whether through serial blood work to make sure that the physician's following them and, and evaluating their nutritional status and seeing whether or not there's a real change. You, know, you can't just rely on does the fracture heal and then not come back. And that's sort of the standard approach, unfortunately, is that we just say, well, we'll get it to heal and then you can run again. But well, why did that happen? So it kind of skips the whole real problem, you know, which is like, well, why did you get this deficiency that led to this fracture in the first place? And that's really crucial. So I think it's important to find a physician that's a little more progressive that wants to treat athletes, likes to treat athletes, and understands the sort of whole nutritional picture that is crucial to athletic success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is important, again, uh, when you're injured like that, to find the silver lining, and that's usually pinpointing the smoking gun, the, the reason you're injured. Right. Um, just can take some preemptive action for next time. Yeah, so I mean, obviously an injury is never, ever a good thing. But mm-hmm. if an injury can lead you to this one sort of you know, deficient area that's been holding you back, then that's really important. You know, somebody that gets so much of an injury because of a vitamin D deficiency, they get a sacral stress fracture. Again, this is the bone problem, right? The common bone problem that doctors are taught to think about and not the muscle problem. So if you then forget about the bone problem, you say, okay, well, okay, we know it's vitamin D, we're going to do some vitamin D and we'll fix that problem and this thing will heal and then everything will be fine. Well, what's going to happen then? If you actually have, you know, a severe vitamin D deficiency, then that same athlete is going to be able to train much better, much more effectively, recover much faster, get muscle strength much faster, and then actually perform much better after that injury than before the injury. Mm-hmm. It, again, it's like you said, it's a smoking gun. It's trying to find the real core issue, the real thing that's been the problem, and then figure out some way to address it so that you can not only heal that current injury, but prevent a future injury and potentially even train faster uh, and recover faster, train better, more effectively than you were previously. Yeah, yeah. I guess the, the saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> and in that case, it sure could. <laughs> so, uh, so what do you suggest runners at the first sight of soreness, um, particularly when it's kind of vague, whether the pain is part of just kind of natural wear and tear, if it's, you know, the onset of something more serious, what do you suggest runners to do? Um, is it you have any like tips on how to better listen to one's body? Is it better to kind of just take a step back or? Yeah, so I'm not a big proponent of just taking time off. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's like the worst strategy. If somebody calls me, they think they're injured. If I see you the day after an Ironman, pretty much anything I touch or push on is going to hurt, right? Yeah. It should. Uh, so the first thing is to figure out what really is the problem. The first part of that is that you, I believe, the sort of as a the sort of simplest approach is that when you feel like you're getting an overtraining injury and most athletes know that they're getting an overtraining injury they it may not be so dramatic they don't get a huge bruise or something like that you know they don't feel like a big snap and something broke but they know something's wrong what they do wrong is they ignore it because again you're accumulating damage and you ignore it it's going to accelerate the rate of that damage because you're running on something that's injured 
So in many cases, it doesn't take very long to, to resolve that if you can identify it and just take some stress off of it. Those are really simple strategies that you can use to take the stress off of, and there are a whole bunch of them. But you have to know what the problem is, right? It's the first step. So if you've been running a lot, you did like maybe some speed work, and then shortly thereafter you had a long run, and just because you were traveling for work or you had a final exam or whatever, and it was really busy, and so that is a common scenario that people will stack their workouts closer together than their coach recommended because of logistical issues, timing, you know, work responsibilities, life responsibilities, that then means too much stress and they get basically the beginning of an overtraining injury. But it doesn't end there. It's not like you just got a fracture from two runs, you know, but it's heading that direction. So the first thing is to get rid of the inflammation and be able to identify the real problem. And, you know, in the book on the self-diagnosis of runner's heel pain that I wrote, that's most of what it's talking about is explaining to people, look, it's not rocket science. We spend a long time in school, but most of it is irrelevant for what runners need to know. It's really some pretty basic things. You know, you get this inflammation causes swelling in the foot or the ankle or whatever, and it hurts. If it's swollen and you push on it, it'll hurt because it stretches the cutaneous nerves and it causes pain. So the first thing is to get rid of the inflammation so you can figure out what's wrong with it. And when I see a lot of runners, if they've really just done the injury with a 50K or 100 mile trail race or something, everything's so swollen you cannot discern what structure it is. You push on all the metatarsals and they hurt. And they're all not broken. There's one of them that's broken. You know, there's one of them that has a, a stress response or sort of a pre-stress fracture. But until you can isolate the one structure, you have no idea what to do. You can't run and keep your foot off the ground, but you can run and keep the pressure off one specific metatarsal bone. You can run and keep the stress off the plantar fascia. It is possible to do all of those things. But you have to know what's wrong. Step one, I think, is for people to get rid of the swelling. And whether that's doing uh, like the yoga pose, you know, legs up the wall pose, where you're laying on your back with your feet straight up the wall. I do that after my long runs. It really does drain the lymphatic channels and get the swelling out pretty quickly. I usually do that with compression socks on. That pushes the fluid out even faster. After marathons and Ironmans, like after a marathon, I sleep in compression socks for two days. I wear them around the clock for two days. I do it for three days after an Ironman. Um, and it really just pushes out all that fluid. So if you ice it, if you do contrast bath soaks while you're alternating hot and cold and you have a swelling in there and then you use compression socks, and you elevate and you do those things, you can very rapidly get the fluid out. Then when you push on it, one thing is going to hurt. And when that one thing hurts, you know that that's where the real issue is. And then you just have to decide, like, is it so bad you really need to see a doctor and check it out? Or is it one of those things where you can just run a little differently? Like, you know, if it's the plantar fascia, if it's your right foot, if you think about running on the slope of the road, it's really simple. If you run facing traffic, you know, the road slopes this way. And if you're running facing traffic, your, your right foot is forcibly pronating on that slope. And that stretches out the plantar fascia and irritates it more. If you run with your back to traffic on the road, you're on the other side of the slope and it supinates your foot, shortens the plantar fascia, decreases the stress on the plantar fascia. And then you can run and you don't have any issues and it works. You know, and your coach knows this, right? So if you tell your coach what's wrong, they'll say, well, maybe you should do this. Or, well, maybe you should do your speed workout on the track, but do it the other direction because it will decrease the stress on that side of your foot if you run backwards on the track, you know, instead of going the normal rotation. And, you know, these little strategies are the big thing. So with most patients, I look at them and I say, okay, well, this is what's wrong with you. This is what I think is going to help. So let's try that simplest thing 
and see if you can still run. And if you can't, then we'll back off a little bit more. But the last thing I would do is say, oh, well, here are your crutches. That doesn't make any sense to me because it doesn't help the athlete achieve their goal. Cool. Yeah, I uh, just got over an Achilles injury a few uh, months ago and ended up just kind of running through it because, you know, that's kind of a nagging injury. Sometimes right. you just have to just keep training through. Um, but I did come to find the hard way that running uphill definitely aggravated it. So I had to keep things kind of on a flat terrain for the most part yeah. getting through that one. Yeah, running uphill with the Achilles is, is uh, pretty hard on it. So, but that's one of those things I was like, well, you know, most doctors say, oh, we have an Achilles issue. You have to stop running. Well, you're not going to do that. But if you can like eliminate the hill repeats, that's probably the best thing that you can do. Eliminating all of your uphill runs is the next best thing that you can do. You know, and last thing you want to do is eliminate all running altogether. Yeah. You have to be reasonable about it. Again, it's this whole range. I mean, I actually have this graph thing in my talks that I do to physician where basically activity and stress in this continuum of time. And if you think about this, like, I say, okay, well, how do doctors think about this? We think an athlete gets injured. So let's put them on bed rest. Tell them, rent some movies, buy some books, you know, hang out with your friends. Don't do anything. No stress, you're going to heal quickly. At the other end of the spectrum, way up here where all the risk is, is like continuing to run 20 miles a day. You know, mm. when you do that forever, you're going to get injured. Well, somewhere in between those two is your threshold for injury. Your coach's job, of course, is to keep you as close to that line as possible without going over it. That's where you get the most benefit physiologically, right? Where you can build the tissue and get stronger as much as your body's capable. If you go over it, you get injured. So the way that I do this, I put this whole thing together and I you know, have this graph on this PowerPoint slide or whatever, and it shows all these different forms of stress and what you can do. And then I say, okay, why don't you just think about this for a second? If you just flip it and you think of this as your threshold for healing, it works the same direction. The doctor's job is not to make you sit on the couch or sit in bed. The doctor's job is to figure out sort of the same as your coach, like well, what can we do to keep you right under that line? What are the things that we can add in? What are the things that we can remove that move that line for you? Like if you sleep more, the line moves. If you eat better, the line moves. If you eliminate some hill repeats, the line moves again. And all you have to do is get that line low enough that you're going to recover. If you can recover and then you can start to get better and then you can keep pushing the line and increasing your activity, you can continue to maintain all of your fitness and still recover. You don't have to stop running. That's not the best routine. It doesn't make sense to me. Hmm. Yeah, I do think, uh, like you said, at Runners Connect, we often, whenever we have a user that is, uh, you know, has some sign of soreness, we usually supplement in some cross training, whether it's them getting in the pool or jumping on the stationary bike. Um, sometimes we'll even, we'll give them a few just basic exercises to add in, mm -hmm. especially when it's um, uh, an injury that, you know, indicates a weakness somewhere. Right. What? Some, what would you say are some basic exercises runners can do to kind of preemptively strengthen um, areas that are prone to injury? You know, and that's a good question. It's a tough question, though, because I think that there's such a broad range. And, mm -hmm. you know, doing planks, push-ups, um, uh, all of the, the, the hip-strengthening ones, like the one-legged squats and lunges and all that stuff, they all help. I don't have one particular one that I think is like the one that most people should do because mm -hmm. it depends on the weakness, you know, it mm -hmm. depends on what the issue is. And, um, again, it's like, I, I, I also think of it in terms of 
simplicity. When people have plantar fasciitis, there are really a couple of things you have to do if you want to get better quickly. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of things you could do. But who's going to do them? You know, that's just it. So, I mean, I do Ironman triathlons. I don't swim very much because it's a very small portion of the race. I spend a lot of time running and I spend a lot of time on the bike when I'm really training. I don't swim that much because it doesn't make that much difference. And so it's the same with these strengthening exercises. Like if you get a run form analysis, then you very quickly identify and you kind of narrow the range of exercises you specifically need to do. You know, maybe it's planks, you know, maybe it's upper body strength. You know, it just depends. I mean, I have more upper body strength than I need as a runner. I've actually had two of my running friends tell me that I had too much weight. And I was like, are you calling me fat? What? You know? And they're like, no, no, no. You just, your, your shoulders are too big for a runner. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do about that? So yeah, I don't look like one of these like Kenyan guys that can run, you know, two hours, yeah. but there's nothing I can do about that. If you have the opposite problem where you have like too little upper body strength, that's easy to address, but doing one legged squats is not going to help that. Definitely different. Everyone, everyone's got their individual weaknesses. Um, so it's kind of a general question for sure. It's true, but it's it's a lot like run form analysis to me. The number one question I get from runners is, what running shoes do you run in? And I, basically, I never answer them, you know, yeah. because I'm like, look, I run in the best running shoes there are for me. I run in four different kinds of shoes, actually, depending upon which workout I'm doing. So I don't even run in the same kind of shoes all the time. It just depends on what I'm doing, and it depends for the athlete. So, you know, with my foot type, I know exactly what I should run in. But that's for my foot type and the way that I run. If I were more of a heel striker, I would change the kind of shoes I wore. And it, it matters. And so it's the same thing with strengthening. Like, you get a run form analysis because you don't really know exactly what it is that you're doing that's inefficient. And you don't know what you can change to make it more efficient because you don't really know the real problem. And you can, it's very difficult to watch yourself run. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. really difficult. And even when you watch the video, it's pretty simple for somebody who's an expert. Somebody at Runners Connect doing a run form analysis that does this all the time. They look at it. They see subtleties that other people don't recognize. That's the reason you want to do that. And then from that, then you can determine, well, what are the exercises? The fewer things you do, the more likely you are to do them and do them consistently when you're training. Everything starts to get eliminated. Anything that's not essential starts to go. And, you know, like I said, when I'm really ramping up in my base phase, swimming is the first thing to go for me. Like, I don't have time. It's not that effective. So I'm certainly not going to do a lot of excess exercise. Like I still get confused. I was at the gym yesterday, and I remember there was a guy who was standing next to the machine checking his phone. I did three different machines, in the time that he did one set on this one machine. And I just remember thinking, like, does that guy have a job? I mean, how does he have time to, like, do that, right? So, I mean, I'm pretty efficient when I go to the gym, but I'm also not, like, sitting around trying to figure out, I don't wonder if there are other exercises I should do when I'm here. I know which ones are important for me, for my specific limiters, for the things that I know get deteriorated when I'm training a lot, when I'm really running. And so those are the things I try to focus on. And I think that's the biggest thing that, you know, I can suggest is to make sure that people get an analysis by somebody that knows what they're talking about so that they can determine the, the real limiters that they have that they may or may not recognize so that they can address them and then train more and more effectively. Yeah, I think that's a great takeaway for our users, um, you know, most of which have full-time jobs and you're just right. not going to go to the gym and stay there for two hours. It's nice to know exactly what you need to do um, individ for, for your 
personal um, routine, what is going to benefit you most. I think that's a really great takeaway for our users. Um, I think that that about does it, but I, um, do you have anything else you want to add, Dr. Segler? No, I think that I think we've covered a lot. I mean, I think we've really yeah. covered a lot of material. All of it should be useful for any runner who's really trying to improve their uh, speed and you know and their enjoyment of running in the process. You know, I really um, appreciate you having me on uh, to do the seminar with Runners Connect. Yeah, well, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, thank you so much, and um, I know I've learned a lot. I'm sure our users have too. So, really appreciate it, Dr. Segler. All right, my pleasure. All right, thank you. All righty. All right, thanks, Dr. Segler. That was. I mean, I'm not lying. I really did learn a lot there. Um, yeah. It's not simple. It's really not. But yeah, I, I do really appreciate you joining us, uh, Dr. Yeah, Seidel. We, we, we would love to have you back. Oh, yeah, so. sure. Yeah, no, it'd be great. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me. And then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.